countdown and everything um but i hadn't pushed the go live button okay <laughs> that means do go live so we are now live okay countdown um <laughs> because that is an important button so i think it's a very appropriate way to start out our fifth episode maybe of what could go wrong live with what could go wrong <laughs> <laughs> so everybody meet Elaine. Um, she is awesome and I'm gonna let you introduce yourself because you would do that better than me, I feel like. Oh well, I'll tell you. Chelsea, thank thank you so much for having me on. This is already gonna be a blast, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I remembered to push the go live button. Yeah. Before we live. start talking, which is very yeah. important. Important. Go live. <laughs> Must do, okay, to make it work. So um, you mentioned in the little ad that you sent out um, about this conversation that I'm the founder of the Trauma Sensitive Teaching Network, which is a network of professionals, um, teachers, counselors, social workers, leaders, psychologists, principals, superintendents who have a common purpose of coming together to um, do trauma-sensitive teaching because we have a lot of kids that are experiencing trauma in the school. So it's a network to help support that. And I also am adjunct faculty at Cleveland State University. Um, I've taught in the College of Education and I am um, currently teaching in the School of Social Work. So, but that's the boring stuff. I'm also a mom of three, 20-somethings, all college graduates, um, and oh, this is the 30th year that I've known my husband, so, you know, we've, we've traveled some ways, That's but something, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so our life has been full of all kinds of social and emotional stuff, so it's <laughs> fitting that uh, we're going to be talking. So it's the perfect conversation. Yeah, perfect conversation, for sure. Well, so... Um, if you people are here, hang out in the chat because that's more fun when your messages pop up and, you know, feel free to make jokes about me forgetting to push go live and all those types of things. Um, but to what you were saying, so sometimes when people start talking about trauma, they think, you know, car accidents and these types of things. So when you talk about trauma, it could be different things. So tell me more about that. Yeah, so trauma is actually a very individual because um, it can be a, a car accident, like you said, or something traumatic physically that happens to an individual, but it also could be any other life circumstance that um, creates a sense of trauma in an individual. So it could be some type of abuse, it could be neglect, um, it could be, um, their experiences with poverty, it could be their experiences in the neighborhood, it could be anything that an individual finds traumatic. So for example, what, what I find traumatic may not necessarily be what you would find traumatic or someone else would find traumatic. So um, it's a pretty broad definition and it's pretty individually defined. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've um, introducing this concept of trauma informed learning or trauma safe environments or whatever. Mm -hmm. A lot of the pushback that you get initially when starting the conversation is people hear the word trauma and they're like, we don't have any trauma here, you know? I mean, that's kind of, and so that word sounds kind of scary, but it's really just talking about individualized experiences and how it affected the person. Um, sure. it, and hey, there's people here. Hey. Welcome. Um, <laughs> I, I get distracted, obviously. I'm like, rrr, rrr, rrr. Uh, before we started, you were talking about, um, we were talking about education podcasts and conversations and how sometimes there's no laughter involved in those conversations. And you made a funny um, statement that I would love for you to repeat just for me, really. I think it's just for me. Okay. Just for you, Chelsea, I'll tell you that, you know, it's an education podcast and, you know, I've been an academic, I've been a leader in a nonprofit, everything's serious. You know, we got to talk about education and I'm sure we're handling everything. And I thought, wow, um, you know, talking with Chelsea is going to be a little bit more, um, not as serious. It's kind of like if President Obama goes on Jimmy Kimmel and they have this great conversation and they're laughing and joking and it's all serious because he's the president, but, but at the same time he can like, you know, laugh and I joke. Mean... You know, I don't feel like you're wrong because I gotta say, you Chelsea, I I love Jimmy Kimmel and I'm okay with that comparison. And I have to say, I was talking with an educator the other day, beautiful, intelligent, amazing educator, um, and I said, hey, maybe you should come on What Could Go Wrong live with me. And they were like, mm, no. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, why? I have worked with kids in the classroom from uh, kids kindergarten through 12th grade and then, you know, also college students. And, um, you know, if anything's going to happen or anything can go wrong, um, it can go wrong in the classroom. I've seen it. I've been there. I totally. I have the kids. So. I, yeah, and that's what makes it more fun. I mean, that's the whole what could go wrong thing is because you're going to have more fun that way. And one more thing, and then we'll get back to actually what we're talking about. But yesterday okay. I was having a conversation with another educator and we were talking about preschool teachers and mm -hmm. educators in general. We're like, you know what? I am pretty sure that 99% of preschool teachers or any early educators have some form of ADHD. <laughs> like they have to have it just to survive in the classroom. Place, right? I just feel like I have ADHD. I don't know if it expresses in any way, but I do have that. And I also taught preschool and I could say that that is accurate. And hey, Jacob, I did get distracted. You did that on purpose. <laughs> okay. So tell me, what does that look like to come in? I just feel like if you're going to come into a setting and say, hey, let's, let's um, create a trauma safe environment what does that mean? How would you even start that process with someone who doesn't understand what you're saying? Yeah, so um, we start with awareness. You know, we start with awareness of, of what trauma is um, and understanding what that looks like, what that looks like for individual kids in the classroom. Um, and sometimes we'll have to also look at what that looks like for the teachers and the staff, because we all come to the world with 
certain experiences, um, some more traumatic than others, but being aware of what uh, those things are really important so that we can understand triggers. Uh, we often see that with kids' behaviors, if we're not understanding what's happening with a, a, a student, um, we'll misinterpret that behavior. And we need to be able to look past the behavior to see, instead of saying what's wrong with you, uh -huh. we're asking what happened to you? So that's a key shift um, when yeah. we're in trauma-informed care, when we're using trauma-sensitive instructional decisions in the classroom, we're keep, keeping in mind what uh, trauma history might be there and also what the triggers are that may um, have the child reacting in a way that seems way out of proportion to what the situation is. So it's getting everybody on the same page and having um, a common language and an understanding mm -hmm. that we're not saying what's wrong with you. We're saying what happened to you. Common language is huge. I mean, that was a big thing that when I when I was leading staff, we talked about common language and mm -hmm. what we do say, what we don't say, because that's a that plays a, such a vital role in your conversation. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, especially in early education, because sometimes we have to prompt responses, mm -hmm. um, but also in you know in education in a bigger picture. And so, common language is a big thing. And I think common language has to really come from this space of a common mindset like we understand this, what we're doing is why we're doing it here's the language that kind of grows from that because after it's taught it has to be maintained right which can be challenging so when you're bringing that into a, a, a setting what does that look like what's your first kind of hurdle to get that common language to be embedded in kind of what's going on there mm -hmm. well um there's always training involved, um, training by way of information, training by way of tools. Um, for example, one of the tools that we would use in a trauma-informed classroom or trauma-informed school or organization, one of the tools is um, a community meeting where we come together and whether it's staff coming together or whether it's um, classrooms starting in their day, there's a community meeting where we ask three questions. How are you feeling? What is your goal for today? And who can you ask for help? So that's a foundational way to gain mm -hmm. some um, community, sense of community among the students and then the staff, uh, among the staff as well and then among the students as well to be able to establish that sense of community where, you know, it matters how I'm feeling. Yeah. Um, and um, we do wanna have goals, regardless of how we're feeling, we need to be able to also um, articulate goals because that's a, a human thing and an adult thing that we right. need to learn right. about. If we're frustrated or angry or disappointed that we can still set goals about what we're gonna do. Um, for that class or for the um, day. And then um, always being able to say, who can you ask for help? Um, and I think that's a huge, that's such a valuable, a valuable question. Yeah, who can you ask for help? And sometimes we'll hear students or staff sometimes say, well, I'm just gonna handle that myself. Um, and we encourage that um, thinking about, well, who can you ask for help? So mm -hmm. the community meeting is a foundational tool, for example, that a trauma-informed setting might use. 
I like that. Um, giving them kind of a, a, a specific action that they can take when they're feeling overwhelmed, which mm-hmm. can be a big thing is it when you're feeling overwhelmed, you know, you suddenly lose the ability to, for this executive function to kind of roll. So you need this automatic response. So once you yes. know this is my automatic response when I'm feeling overwhelmed, when you're stuck in your amygdala, you're just like, I know this response. Right. <laughs> Who can I ask for help? All right. right. It has to be trained so Absolutely. that you can use it in a time where you don't have that executive function telling you this is a good decision. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's a amygdala hijack. Once you're oh, yeah, yeah. hijacked, you are, you're not in that thinking part of your brain anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we talk about going to your downstairs brain, your upstairs brain, right? The whole child, um, the whole brain child, that book is kind of, we brought that into a lot of our trainings. And so we trained our, that was part of our common language was mm-hmm. in your upstairs brain, your downstairs brain. And we would have students come back and say, like, if we're talking with them and saying, how are you? Can you tell me how you're feeling? They would be like, Miss Chelsea, I am in my downstairs brain. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, okay, well just come back to me when you're feeling your upstairs brain. And we had these corners and things like that, that where they could go and take some time to regulate themselves to kind of experience self-regulation because you need to experience it in practice. Um, And so they would do their self-regulation. They would come back and be like, you know what, Miss Chelsea, I'm in my upstairs brain now. I'm like, great. Now let's let's solve the problem. Yeah. (laughs) Access to the upstairs brain, you know, um, being in the downstairs brain is in that place, right, uh, for our viewers where it's 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 the reptilian brain, right? It's yeah. at the at the brain stem level, and they call it the reptilian brain because that was the most original part of our development was that part of that brain in the brain stem, and that's um, regulating our breathing, our heart rate, just our our normal functions, you know, day to day. And when we're in that place. We're in survival mode and you're just trying to fight. You might want to flee. You mm-hmm. might want to freeze. Um, and so being able to help teach kids that regulation so that they can come out of that state is so, so important. And for some kids, <clears throat> maybe who have experienced some developmental trauma, uh, which is essentially something happening um, very traumatic to a child during those early years of their development, if it happens in a particular point in time, it impacts the brain development, right? And so right. that makes it even more challenging for students to be able to access and you know come out of that brain, mm-hmm. that limbic system that's so emotional and not thinking, it's difficult for them to come up to that thinking part. So teaching yeah. the skills to mitigate um, the impact or the residual effects of trauma is so, so important. Because those skills, um, as they're using, they're building the neuropathways to make those skills happen, happen, happen. Yep. And if they don't have those skills, then they're still building neuropathways, but they're not healthy. And then they're taking longer times to break them down. Yes. Because they're having to learn them later rather than building them at the beginning. And that was one of my favorite parts of being involved in early childhood. Mm-hmm. Because we're building strong neuropathways from the get-go. Right. And then by the time they're getting to primary and secondary, they're just kind of refining the neuropathways mm-hmm. rather than having to like burn them down and start all over. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of my obsession with with early education. But I think yeah. so much of trauma 
um, sensitive environments, trauma-informed learning comes from this basis of relationship. And my friend Alfonso is not here, but I was on his podcast um, a while back and he has a podcast it's called My EdTech Life. And every question he asked me, the answer was pretty much relationship. <laughs> he was like, how do we solve da da da? I'm like, relationship. I wish that I could give you a different answer, but I just feel like relationship is the answer to all of that. So tell me about how relationship plays into this trauma-informed space or trauma-informed environment. Oh, 100%. That's what you're saying. Because typically trauma, or in many cases, trauma happens in the context of our relationship. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, if there is, um, and sorry, adversely, yes. uh, resilience is, is shown to be formed inside most strongly inside of positive relationships, which is an interesting, you know, both sides of the coin. Yes, absolutely. So that that's where that, you know, in order to heal that trauma or to put those building blocks of the brain together to um, develop the skills to be able to self-regulate and to be able to develop positive relationships, it has to happen. That healing happens in the context of relationships. So mm -hmm. teachers know about relationships. Um, or, you know, psychologists, counselors will talk about the therapeutic alliance, um, a therapeutic relationship. Mm -hmm. And essentially, you know, thera therapeutic um, comes from the Greek word therapevo, which means to heal. So when we talk about doing something, That's so, I love it when you teach me new things. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a Greek word for to heal. Okay, um, wait, so, how do you say it? One more time, one more time. Therapevo. Therapevo. I'm not going to try it. Okay, <laughs> okay. I, I believe you, and I'm not going to try it because I will look ridiculous, but I'm, yeah. I love that I learned that. Yeah, that's the basis of the word um, therapeutic. It's about healing. And and it happens in the context of the relationship. And it could be the relationship with the teacher. It could be a relationship with the counselor. It could be a relationship with the office manager or the custodian in the school. Um, it could be a trusted friend. It could be, um, you know, an aunt or an uncle. So, um, somebody wants that. Okay, so it comes from <laughs> a devil, or let's start with therapeutic. T h e r, t h e r, a p e u t i c. So therapeutic, from the Greek word therapevo. Theta, um, <laughs> epsilon, rho, alpha. I i was going to attempt to type that but i'm just going to backspace yeah you can translate it google translate <laughs> there there you go michael you're welcome that was just for you he's the studious <laughs> one in the group it looks like <laughs> he is he's the only studious one the rest of them are a bunch of shenanigans <laughs> i love you by the way but you're you're a shenanigan it's fine Okay, continue. Tell us more about the relationship. That's where we were. Yeah, we so it's, it's all, it's, it's in the therapeutic alliance. It's in the therapeutic relationship, you know, and along that, you know, when you think about therapeutic relationship, and, and I'm talking about in education as well, um, it is, um, it's about safety. It's about trust. 
It's mm -hmm. about being able to be vulnerable to express um, the trauma at the degree and at the pace that the individual is ready for. Um, this is why I love um, bibliotherapy, um, mm, yeah. where we're taking children's literature um, and using characters mm -hmm. through different types of um, situations in their lives, either developmentally or you know, particular issues, maybe around death or bullying. And we're able to use the context of the book for a student to experience a once removed perspective so that they can process through an issue um, regarding a character in a book and right. talk about themselves, but they don't have to. Um, yeah, that once removed respect or that once removed perspective changes yeah. the whole game, changes exactly. the whole conversation. Suddenly they're willing to have all of these deep conversations that they wouldn't have from the first person, but you remove that perspective and right. suddenly they're talking about the character and they'll share all kinds. I mean, I've seen it in practice. It's amazing to see. Yeah, it is. It really is. Um, and that creates that safety, you know, um, mm -hmm. and it's something that can happen in a, in a classroom environment with a cohesive group and mm -hmm. a teacher that is tuned into and has that withness to be able to tune into students in terms of how they're feeling and what they need at any given moment. So yeah, that's powerful. And Teachers and are in a really powerful place to do a lot oh, of. Oh, yes, yeah, and I think a lot of times. I mean, so the school I was at prior, um, when I came in, we introduced this concept of a trauma-informed environment. We introduced growth mindset, mm -hmm. trauma-informed, and holistic education. Mm -hmm. And these were all new things um, to the teachers that I was working with. We also switched out the whole curriculum. So we went to Reggio Inspired, which is naturally relationship based. And right. for, for those of you who may not know, Reggio Inspired is just a very hands on play based child led um, type curriculum. So it's, mm -hmm. it's process over product. It's, you know, the, the, the educator kind of follows the lead of the child. It's very natural mm -hmm. hands on all those types of things. But these were all new concepts. And so as we're introducing them and seeing it play out, um, you could see this, this shift for the whole community starts to just mm -hmm. change the way that we talk to each other and the way that we engage, the way the students feel when they come in the morning, the way that teachers feel when they get there in the morning, because we're modeling this behavior for the children. Mm -hmm. And just because we have to model it for the children, we're then having to treat each other, you know, with that same, not what's wrong, but hey, what's going on? How are yep. you? Right. Um, and we're seeing this change. And the coolest thing was, it was the educators who started saying, I'm feeling this change. I'm using it with my family. I'm feeling it at work. Like it became this ripple effect where suddenly we thought we were just helping the children, but in reality, we were impacting the whole community Absolutely. without even really trying, you know, right. Without even really having that as our set intention when we started. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's huge. And so oh. aside from the, no, go ahead. No, I was saying, yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh woo, yeah. Like, yeah. Aside from just the trauma community, it's a healing community then. Absolutely. It, it changes the whole concept. And so um, she's not here either, but Kamal did a, um, a, like a, oh my gosh, wait, wait, I got it. I can find it. A poll. She did a poll. <laughs> 
um, about what's the biggest part of education that we're missing. And it was like financial literacy, social, emotional, um, uh, something and something. I can't remember. But <laughs> here's well, what my reason why they were great. I mean, they're, you know. Right? <laughs> Those are great ones, and I wish she was here because she could tell me, and I don't see anybody else on here that responded to that, but I can't remember. Anyway, my response was, I think social-emotional is a huge piece to focus on because you're building the foundation for everything else to come. Because right. if you put financial literacy into a classroom, you're doing great things. But if that child does not feel a sense of belonging, a sense of safety, and a sense of psychological um, psychological safety, then they're not going to retain that information. So it would seem that we have to start at the bottom and create this social emotional strength in the child, mm -hmm. the psychological safety, the trauma informed space, that then we can take all these other beautiful things like financial literacy and stack them on top of that foundation. Mm -hmm. um, right? Or kind of what's your experience with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just read um, a statistic this week that said that 92% of employers um, that were surveyed um, were saying that social emotional, actually social emotional and emotional intelligence, the way they address it for adults, right? Mm -hmm. Emotional intelligence is as important or even more important than technical skill on the job. Because uh, 100% was technical skill, but you can't do your work because there's so much conflict or, you know, inability to, um, to self-regulate or be self-aware. Oh, I mean, you're back to the upstairs brain, downstairs brain, right. right? I mean, no matter how many technical skills you have, if you don't, if you're not, if you can't work in executive function, it doesn't matter. You can't type. Exactly. I know I've experienced it. Yeah, absolutely. And we do that. And, and, and here's what I want to say. I believe I believe that social and emotional learning is a must prerequisite to emotional intelligence and social intelligence in adults. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I totally agree with that. And yet we expect adults, right? Our young adults, um, you know, um, kids in college and then people going into the workforce to be emotionally intelligent and not just leaders, but everyone that we're working with to be emotionally intelligent. Well, what's the foundation that yeah. that expectation comes from? Um, so why wouldn't we be doing it consistently for all kids in K-12 education? I mean, it's like telling them to, when you turn 16, I want you to be a good driver, but we're gonna give you no training up until this point it just right. and then suddenly they switch something should switch and then all of a sudden they should be emotionally intelligent because they're 18 19 20 but there's right. no foundation that just doesn't make any sense and Absolutely. michael asked an interesting question um how does the principal and school board view these changes in your experience what have you kind of seen on that front you know i've been fortunate in my own experience um working um for um, an organization that serves kids and families and the kids have emotional and behavioral challenges. The mission is all about helping the troubled and troubling kids. You know, mm -hmm. that's what the organization's mission was about. Um, we took mental health and social emotional learning, trauma informed care, and integrated it with academic content mm -hmm. to give kids the best opportunity to be able to be successful 
you know, in their public schools um, or whatever schools they were coming from. And so, you know, the support was founded, it's coming from the mission of the organization. So in my experience, I've had amazing experiences with that. Um, I also know and talk to social emotional learning coaches in different school districts, um, assistant principals who are often dealing with behavior. And it really depends on the culture of that school. Um, if the leadership yeah. is committed to making that happen and providing the supports and the resources and establishing that type of culture that makes it um, possible, then it works well. I've also talked with teachers, social emotional uh, learning coaches um, and other people who um, they, they, they want to do it and they're doing it in isolation in pocket. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, not in a very integrated way because it's not something that is a priority for a particular um, leadership team. So I think it yeah. really depends on the belief. Now, I can tell you that now with the pandemic, you know, mm -hmm. the truth is <clears throat> kids have been traumatized, <clears throat> right? They've been separated from those things that to which they belong. Um, things have been inconsistent. There's a sense of, you know, um, not feeling safe physically. Right. And, right. you know, kids have had their teachers um, die. Families have had losses. And so there's been so much trauma in that regard happening that we're seeing the impact is having on kids. And especially right. kids aren't connected to school where they have, especially those kids that are not, have not been in session, because we know that some schools haven't been in session for a year, uh, and some have been hybrid, and there have been some that have been in, depending on where you are in the country. But all of that connection that kids had with school, it, you know, the bottom fell out, and everyone's experienced trauma now. So. And I think that's kind of a, a a good thing in the you know in the sense of a very bad thing is that for once we can all agree that yes. our kids have experienced a collective trauma whereas yes. before i don't know about you but a lot of times when i was um bringing up this topic like mm -hmm. i said at the beginning there was a lot of pushback of oh well these kids they don't have trauma they haven't experienced you know, this that and the other right. but now that part of the conversation is yeah. like an automatic yes we've all experienced collective trauma so that's kind of right. That aside, but back to what you had said about um, the culture of the school being a huge indicator of whether mm -hmm. or not you know the school board and the and the leadership mm -hmm. kind of picks this up is is dead on. And I've done I serve on Cognia accreditation review team sometimes, so we go into districts and review. And it's interesting to hear them talk about sometimes what their priorities are. Mm -hmm. um, because sometimes if they speak to, you know, our priorities are SEL, our priorities are trauma-informed, our priorities are, and yet their practice doesn't match what they're saying that their priority is. And so I feel like they do have this as a priority in their mind. But they have not gone from this is our priority to here's our practice in the classroom. And yep. I'm going to ask you kind of what you think, but what I've seen is it's a big non-quantifiable concept, this giant boulder to roll up a hill to say we're going to create a trauma-informed environment. And so to say we want trauma-informed, we want SEL 
is awesome. But to put it into practice can be really scary because there's a higher rate of failure, if you will, because it's hard to quantify and it's it's a big thing to undertake, right? So what is kind of your what's been your experience with with that concept where your priorities and their practices are a little bit off? <clears throat> You know, in, in looking at um, school districts, and I'm in Ohio, um, and actually I have to say that Michael's comment about we should be focused on supportive relationships instead of adding to trauma by blindly moving ahead with curriculum plans. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm just gonna throw a little Michael party. Yes, Michael. <laughs> you know, it's like we need to kind of get to where the kids are. Um, and go from there. And I'll tell you, I have been particularly sensitive to that when we talk about the varying priorities, because um, at one point, part of my role um, in an agency was a state testing coordinator. Mm -hmm. So even though we were in this organization whose mission was to help kids socially, emotionally, um, we still had to administer the state tests. Correct. And yeah. so we had to prepare the kids and, you know, cover content that mm -hmm. was, you know. Because you're not going to get funded if you're exactly. not. You exactly. lose your funding and then, because then the everything testing, Right. They test, right. you know, the English, the math. And so you have to take these and they've been called all kinds of tests, depending on where you are. We have mm -hmm. uh, graduation tests could have been, you know, um, Tests on the Common Core, um, way back. Right, was, we have a star <laughs> test in, in Texas. Yeah, exactly. So each state has its version of that. And it was very challenging to, mm -hmm. um, especially working with kids that were really, really struggling with anxiety. Um, yeah, and, it's like, forget their emotional needs right now. We really right. have to get them to pass this They're, test. It's backwards. I know, right? And academics and then social emotional like, things on the top. Exactly. And so... Um, I think that this is a time now that is giving us an opportunity to see how that needs to change. We mm -hmm. absolutely, yeah, test, test, test. Oh my goodness. And so really hard <laughs> for me because I was responsible to make sure all the kids got tested. And, but at the same time, I knew what their struggles were. You know, there were some kids coming in, not having anything to eat at home or kids right. that were coming from parents who were somehow incapacitated either by their own depression, their own issues, or, you know, some drug involvement. And it is like, just, you know, heartbreaking to need to do mm -hmm. that. So, mm -hmm. um, but I think that now is the time to see it because we see things like increase in drug use, increase mm -hmm. in among younger kids. Like, we can't ignore those signs. You know? This is lack of, co I mean, we're talking about they're picking up their own coping skills. They're creating coping skills for what's going on in all of this. Let's see. Michael says, oh, yeah. I'm starting a petition so, to get the U.S. Department of Ed to waive state tests in the spring. Who's absolutely. in? Absolutely. Oh, yep. <laughs> we have we former have. district state testing coordinator. Absolutely. And I think at least we, we need to stop. Now, here's an assessment that I think would be uh, valuable to do. Um, so instead of kind of diving right back in and assessing, 
the reading and the math, sure, those assessments are important, are important. But when we're looking at the social emotional side, um, if I was in the classroom now, what I'd be advising teachers and schools to be doing is doing empathy maps with kids, using that as an assessment. So an empathy map, meaning we're gonna ask the kids, you know, what have you been seeing? And having them, you know, either artistically or in conversation talk about that. What have you been hearing? You know, what have you been feeling about what's happening? So that we can get information about where the kids have been out there in the world in this pandemic. Like, I try not to watch TC, uh, TV that often, but how many times do you have to see the, the you know, the insurrection at the state capitol how traumatic is that how many times do i have to see that and kids are yeah, I only need to see all these things. you know they're witnessing all that and and you know a lot of kids are fortunate and they have families that that wrap their arms around their kids mm -hmm. and they're there for them but a lot of families don't have those resources or it's a single parent working or you know there are many children and and even if people are working, if they are working, maybe their parents aren't working right now. Or maybe they are working, but they're at home, locked down in pandemic, and not able to give that full attention to yeah. what kids are experiencing. So yeah, so you've got me on a rant. I think it started with the issue about the testing. <laughs> well, you know, when Michael comes, there's gonna, somebody's gonna rant about something. Yeah. And that's the beauty that he brings is like, these are the things we need to fix. I yeah. want to address Mark's question. So Mark right. is awesome. He's a huge growth mindset kind of, he was a coach. Um, and so I've gotten to talk with him some and he's really cool, but he says, oh, what, kind of coach? Yes. what kind of coach? He was a football coach. Oh, I played basketball. Um, I volleyball. So I got nothing. Okay, I yeah, yeah. So he says the system is the problem, and yes, relationship and development of this of the relationship. Or wait, I'm sorry. Yes, relationship and development of the relationship is critical, but how to do both strengthen relationship and push development forward. So here's my thought, and we we touched on it a little bit before. Is these things are not separate. We don't have academic development and relationship building, they're not separate. Everything that we're doing inside of the classroom is interdependent of each other. And yep. so having a foundation of relationship, that sense of belonging and that safety and the psychological safety, trauma-informed, all of those things create this, you know, like really high-powered trampoline. I love trampolines. I don't know if this is my, like, my <laughs> thing, this whole trampoline thing, uh, up to this, um, what might be considered specifically academic development. But Again, academic development is not siloed. It is correlated and interweaved into this social emotional intelligence and psychological safety. I mean, everything's dependent on the other. So I think by pushing forward this, this concept of building relationships and SEL and, and all those things, the, we're, nothing's gonna be missing. The only thing we're gonna do is strengthen our academic scores and improvements or however they're going to measure that because you're putting them in a safe place. I mean, you're allowing their executive function to run wild and you're hopefully calming their amygdala response and everything's yeah. up to their brain and all it's gonna do is just take off. And right. so that's kind of my thought on that is that it's it's not siloed, it's interdependent right. with each other. Um, and that is a question, not that specifically, but when I get kind of pushback on, but if you do this, 
you will miss out on all of this. If you focus on relationships, you're going to lose academic structure. And I think that's so mm -hmm. wrong because you focus on relationships and academics are kind of this bonus that kind of start naturally occurring within, within all of that, but it's just not two separate pieces. Yes. I love that, Chelsea, that you're saying that. You actually described the aspirational model that I have in my book that's coming out in 2021. Um, about advancing social emotional learning in schools, where at the bottom we have maybe academics over here and then maybe some social emotional over here, if it's even there. You know, in some places it's incomplete. And then right. it might just be um, incongruent, it could be inconsistent, it could be incomplete. But where we want to get it to is integrated. So, yeah, 2021. Advancing social emotional learning in schools. I think that I think yeah, you know, like you could have written that chapter the way you just described it. <laughs> Excellent. I'll just take that chapter and you do the rest. It'll be that's fun. right. No problem. I know, but that's a. I mean, that's just kind of a big, a big piece for me because that's a. People tend to really like that soapbox. Is mm -hmm. well, you're losing academic development. Well, I think you're wrong. <laughs> And then, uh, here's why. Here's my soapbox to challenge your soapbox. I have no problems. But again, I think that we have it backwards. I think we're saying that we're going to focus on academics. And then once all the academics are done, if we see any like, you know, social emotional needs that happen, then we'll address them mm -hmm. as of, after we focus academics. But I think we need to flip it. And it's we focus on social emotional and academics come. I love that because if we address it if we went by the time we're going to wait for it to get there and it happens and we're addressing it usually we're already in a pro in a, a reactive state and Correct. by this point we're trying to deal with bullying you know that's developed we're trying because we have you know not good relationship skills amongst kids or even teachers um and we're always in this reactive mode but we want right. it to be more proactive for sure right why do we only want to react we want to be proactive in academics but we're totally fine with being reactive in social emotional intelligence and those types of things which doesn't make sense to me yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't it, understand no i mean in in the worst case scenario without the address of the social emotional learning and skill development in kids if we don't develop those skills in kids, they they could have types of problems at some point that, you know, unfortunately in some cases land land kids in jail or they right. turn 18 and they're they're caught in this, you know, negative way of being and relating to other people because they didn't have that um, earlier when those um, neural pathways were being established the way right. you Earlier. Yeah. Lily says social emotional skills are leadership skills and we need that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're you're learning how to work in a collaborative environment with yourself mm -hmm. because you have to yep. listen to yourself all day. I don't know if you have to do that, but I get really loud. <laughs> so that's a problem, but that's a different problem. Um, and then you're also learning how to be collaborative with the people around you, which translates into these leadership skills, how you're yeah. how you're leading the people around you through modeling and all of that and Julie says say it louder for the people in the back and I, I tend to every day and all day yes absolutely <laughs> we have a great opportunity right now Chelsea to to just invest and make those um you know 
make those changes now. Right, because I think, um, you know, we've been having this conversation for a while. Everybody's a little less risk adverse because we're so, we're just tired collectively, yeah. right? So if yeah. someone comes in and says, you know what, what if we focus on FEL? And I think the, even if it's just out of pure exhaustion, if the school staff says, all right, fine, like, why not? <laughs> I will take it. <laughs> I don't care why you say yes. As long as you say yes, I'm in on that one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here's I, one I missed. Yeah. Christopher Holmes says, many times if we're not prioritizing or addressing social emotional needs, we may be creating social emotional problems, which is kind of what you were talking about mm -hmm. um, in that sense. Is And then we're being reactive again because we're not proactively addressing them. We're then reactively having right. to kind of band-aid them in some yeah. way because we're now having these neuropathways that are harmful rather than helpful. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I... I um, wanted to mention there's um, an international initiative coming up that this group might be interested in, and it's actually International SEL Day. It is coming up um, March 26th. It's a Friday, 2021. This is the second year that it's happening. I participated last year. Um, it was started by David Adams and the Urban Assembly um, out of New York City. And it is an initiative to kind of get everyone aware. Yes, March 26th, International SCL Day. Um, it's to get people aware about what is social emotional learning? Why is it important? What does that look like? And so if you go to scldayorg um, you will see um, all about that day. It's free to participate. And there are lots of things being planned, um, lots of sharing to be going on and resources and support for developing SEL in, um, in schools, um, not just in the US, but last year there were 35 countries and more than 2 million people reached um, with that event. So um, if you wanna take a peek, um, it was really cool. Uh, participating last year and I plan to do it again this That's week. That's really cool. I had, had not heard of it and yeah. I want like a t-shirt. Like how, <laughs> what do I decorate with for this day? You, they actually have, you can actually get like, um, I think they call it, oh, I don't know what they call it. What do they call that? Uh, not a badge, but kind of like a little frame that you can put on your little oh, your, page. Um, like a profile, a profile. Frame. yeah there's a couple of little things for profiles saying you know SEL day and you know you can participate like that yeah, there's gonna yeah. be lots of different um, free resources and sharing and opportunities to connect with other people who are finding this really important at this time so I love that. Yeah. and I who did you say was organizing the event um, the urban assembly which is um, a school out of New York City. Oh, wow. Um, their wow. former director of social emotional learning, David Adams, um, he's now the director of strategic initiatives, I think, but um, he uh, coordinated that and lots of organizations and people, like I said, it just kind of caught fire last year all around the world. So that's very cool. I'm, I'm really excited about that. And I'm going to put it on my calendar because that sounds really amazing. So 
I feel like this has been a super conversation and there are so many soapboxes intertwined into this. Yeah. <laughs> we could just go off on and you've already kind of mentioned your book, but is there any kind of thing that we haven't covered that you want to wrap us up with? Well, I'm happy that you all are here uh, interested in learning about all of these types of things because it's really the best thing for our kids, right? You talk about the kids or the future and we need to be paying attention to what those needs are now proactively mm -hmm. so that we don't have to be dealing with as much um, chaos and heartbreak later. Um, so definitely um, support that um, and um, stay aware of that. We know that parents can't do it alone. I think Julie mentioned that earlier. Um, yeah, yeah. Parents can't just, you know, parents offer and support as their way as parents, and we all learn important things from our parents for sure. Um, but there's no denying that, you know, teachers are first responders now. Kids are coming to school. Oh, absolutely. And yes. so the teaching teams, the um, the counselors at the school, the social workers, the psychologists, the principals, assistant principals, we're frontline. They're, you know, mm -hmm. responders. And kids are coming with all kinds of things that are really interfering with their ability to learn. And so, you know, I think we might also need to take a look at teacher preparation as well and see how much more do we need to put into that deliberately in our teacher preparation programs to um, be able to fortify folks who are going into the classroom to be able to um, to respond to what kids mm -hmm. are bringing in, in the door. Yeah, sure. that's a whole other that's a whole other conversation that we need to have. <laughs> We want these environments to be created. We want trauma-informed, psychologically safe environments. We know that they're needed. We know that we need relationships. We know that we need to create a sense of belonging for their students. And that's a big ask. So yeah. what does it look like to create a space where the teachers can do that and still mm -hmm. care for themselves? I mean, that's a huge undertaking. And that's a different conversation that we'll have, to, <laughs> we'll have to get into. Yeah, um, you know, I'm all for self-care and I can tell uh -huh. you having been an administrator, yeah, there's, you know, we want teachers to, you know, take, take care of themselves and have, you know, self-care. But as a leader, I can tell you, I felt it was just as much, if not more, my responsibility as the leader of the culture in the building to support all things self-care for the teachers, because we're asking yeah. such a huge task for our teachers these days and so it's not just you know take care of yourself it's let's create an environment at the leadership level that supports that because right the the teachers can't do for the kids what we what can't be done for them exactly. and that you know yeah. i just had that conversation um yesterday actually i'm i'm speaking at an event the end of February called Leaders Lounge. And I'm talking mm -hmm. on this concept of round teams instead of hierarchical teams mm -hmm. and what that looks like. Because if you have the focus, you have the students at the middle and then yes. you have the closest to the students it works out. So the teachers and then the administrators, directors and those types of things. And the people who are on the outside are the mm -hmm. support and they just support inward until all the way that we're supporting the students in the middle. But kind of what's unique about that is we're not talking about all the power or all of the, you know, reporting or all that going upwards. Rather, we're mm -hmm. talking about it going inwards. 
-hmm. So we want all of our support and everything that we're doing going towards the students. And the closer we get to students, the closer we get to the teachers. And that's just, you know, anyway, I'm doing this training on that. And it's one of the closest to my heart, really, because I've seen it happen. I've seen it work. I've seen what it looks like when leadership and administration supports the teachers who are supporting the kids. And I, I mean, it's the most impactful thing that you will do. Absolutely. Um, so if you guys, anybody who's here is interested in that, if you are not already subscribed to my newsletter on LaylandGrowth.com, go and check that out, subscribe to it. And I'll be sending out my link on that. Um, because that's, I think that's good. That's transformational. It really is. And then Michael shared some resource here for learning path makers. Yep. which is also a really awesome organization. And so be sure to check that out. But this was awesome. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Can I just say I'm super thankful that I pushed the go live button um, because that would have been unfortunate. Surely we would have noticed that nobody was interacting. We'd have been like, mm, something's off. I what could go know. wrong? I'm so many things and that's the fun. Um, and yeah, Adam, that style of leadership is, is really my favorite. I mean, that's cause that's cause what I, I would want. And so if that's what I would want, then that's what I want to provide. But yeah. anyway, um, thank you guys all for being here. This was a great conversation. We had some amazing feedback from y'all. Um, you made it all better, just kind of moved us along on all of our soapboxes, which I love soapboxes, as you know, hey. so it's a great time and be sure to sign Michael's petition. Yes, it's fine. <laughs> um, because we're all going to go off and change the world and oh, tomorrow the what could go wrong theme song comes out. Okay. At 1 PM central time, Rachel and I will be dancing and it's going to be a great time. So straight from social emotional learning and like serious deep conversation into dancing and theme songs. So we're all about the dancing here. Um, so again, thank you guys for hanging out. Thank you, Elaine, for having this amazing conversation. And we've already decided we're gonna do part two, how we're supporting the educators who are supporting the children. So just work on that. Definitely. Definitely. Thank you guys. We'll see you tomorrow. She be teaching for the money and fame Cause everybody knows that's the name of the game Challenging schools to elevation Pushing the limits of education Who's that girl at the trampoline park Filled with passion and thrown up sparks Got growth mindset like fire Lifting learners up higher Disrupting the flow of the status quo Making people think about what they know Revamp, innovate, raise the bar Talking with Jim James, that's what we free Focus, function, move forward Chelsea's question, now for you